For our scripture reading this morning, we turn to Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21. Let's read this entire pro- this entire chapter in the book of Proverbs. And afterwards we'll read Lord's Day 43 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Proverbs 21. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. To do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. And high look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked is sin. The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness, but of everyone that is hasty only to want. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a vanity tossed to and fro of them that seek death. The robbery of the wicked shall destroy them because they refuse to do judgment. The way of man is froward and strange, but as for the pure, his work is right. It is better to dwell in a corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. The soul of the wicked desireth evil. His neighbor findeth no favor in his eyes. When the scorner is punished, the simple is made wise. And when the wise is instructed, he receiveth knowledge. The righteous man wisely considereth the house of the wicked, But God overthroweth the wicked for their wickedness. Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. A gift in secret pacifieth anger, and a reward in the bosom strong wrath. It is joy to the just to do judgment, but destruction shall be to the workers of iniquity. The man that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. He that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. The wicked shall be a ransom for the righteous and the transgressor for the upright. It is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and an angry woman. There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. He that followeth after righteousness and mercy findeth life, righteousness, and honor. A wise man scaleth the city of the mighty, and casteth down the strength of the confidence thereof. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue, keepeth his soul from troubles. Proud and haughty, scorner is his name, who dealeth in proud wrath. The desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse to labor. 
He coveteth greedily all the day long, but the righteous giveth and spareth not. The sacrifice of the wicked is abomination. How much more when he bringeth it with a wicked mind? A false witness shall perish, but the man that heareth speaketh constantly. A wicked man hardeneth his face, but as for the upright, he directeth his way. There is no wisdom nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. The horse is prepared against the day of the battle, but safety is of the Lord. Thus far, we read God's holy and inspired word. God add his blessing to the reading of his word. It's on the basis of truths contained here in Proverbs 21 and other passages like it, that we have the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 43. Lord's Day 43, question and answer 112 of the Catechism. What is required in the ninth commandment? And the ninth commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. What is required in the ninth commandment? That I bear false witness against no man nor falsify any man's words, that I be no backbiter nor slanderer, that I do not judge nor join in condemning any man rashly or unheard, but that I avoid all sorts of lies and deceit as the proper works of the devil, unless I would bring down upon me the heavy wrath of God. Likewise, that in judgment and all other dealings, I love the truth, speak it uprightly and confess it. Also, that I defend and promote, as much as I am able, the honor and good character of my neighbor. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, it's possible for a person to have a very superficial view of commandments 5 through 8 so that a person might say, but I've never dishonored my parents. I've never killed anybody. I've never committed adultery. And I've never shoplifted. And perhaps that person can say that and even mean that from an outward point of view, at least from the point of view of what others can observe in our behavior. But now as we come to the ninth commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness. No one can ever say, but I've never lied. I've always, always, always told the truth even from that outward superficial point of view. There's not a one of us here today that can say, but I've never, ever lied. Now, that's hardly the requirement of the ninth commandment to keep it outwardly. And now, of course, that's there, and we must obey the ninth commandment outwardly. But the ninth commandment goes so much deeper. It 
aims at our hearts. And the requirement is that then that in my heart, in my heart, I love the truth. So that it's not enough then that I simply tell the truth while all along harboring the lie in my heart and loving the lie and wishing that I could get away with the lie. But the requirement is that I love the truth and that I love the truth in my heart. And then that love that I have in my heart would then come and manifest itself in all of my life. And why is it so important for us to love the truth? It's so important for us to love the truth because the truth is not merely something, but the truth is someone. The truth is centrally the Lord Jesus Christ. And God himself is a true God. God himself is truth. And so if we love God, that means that we love the truth and we want to speak the truth because God speaks the truth. We live in a world that gives itself over to the lie. And that's what we see, that's what we experience in the world round about us. So much lying, so much distortion of the truth. We come across it every single day. We see it in the, in the, in the politicians of the land. We see it in the news media where there are lies or at least there are distortions of the truth, uh, twisting of the truth of the actual events. And, and we're used to it. Lies are all around us. But you know why we're used to it as well? Because we find that lying within our own hearts as well. That's what we're prone to by nature, to lie. We as adults are tempted to lie. So easy for our children to lie. That's one thing you don't have to teach your children. Don't have to teach children how to lie. That's something that they know naturally. And we all have that old man of sin. The lie. Well, that's the easy way out. The lie, that's the way to deflect blame so that I don't have to suffer the consequences of my sin. We are prone to lie and to cover up our sins. And therefore, a good word for us to hear this morning, this word of God that comes to us in the ninth commandment, and that becomes a theme of our sermon, thou shalt not bear false witness. Let's take a look in the first place at loving the truth, Loving the truth, that implies that we hate the lie. But loving the truth, secondly, speaking it uprightly, and finally, receiving God's blessing. So when the ninth commandment says, thou shalt not bear false witness, that means you may not lie, but rather you must Always tell the truth. And now, two very important words that we're using there. Truth and lie. And we need to know what those words mean. Let's start with truth. What is 
truth. Well, a simple, ordinary dictionary definition of truth is this. Truth is the actual state of a matter. Truth is conformity with reality. And that's a good definition. We like that. The truth is what's real. Whatever is real is described as being true. What's the lie? A lie, then, is something which conceals reality. A lie is something that distorts reality. Consider a few lies that we find in the Bible. Think of the lie that Joseph's brothers presented to Father Jacob concerning their younger brother, Joseph. Father Joseph, here is a coat of many colors. It's covered with blood. And Father Jacob sees that and says, no doubt a wild beast must have torn him to pieces. And that's exactly the lie that the brothers wanted Father Jacob to believe. They wanted him to believe a wild beast tore Joseph apart. But that was a lie. That was not real. That was what did not really happen. And then you go to the New Testament and you think of the lies that Peter told regarding his knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ the night before Jesus was crucified in the palace and in the courtyard of the high priest. And Peter says, I don't know the man. I don't know what you're talking about. The people say, but you sound just like him. You're from Galilee. Peter says now with cursing and swearing, I don't know the man. What was Peter doing? Well, Peter was hiding what was really true and concealing the truth. The truth is that he did know Jesus. The truth is that he was, in fact, very, very close to Jesus, but he lied because he was afraid of the consequences. Now, thanks be to God that God is merciful and and that Jesus later appeared to Peter and comforted him and that Peter went forth from that day forward, repenting of his sin and going forth, preaching the truth that Peter, in fact, did know the Lord, that he loved the Lord and that he preached the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. But there you have, you have the truth, that which is real, and then you have the lie, that which distorts and conceals the truth. Well, we need to know the difference between the two, and we need to know the difference so that we love the truth, and that we despise that which is not real, and that we hate the lie. And there are good reasons why we ought to hate the lie. Let's start there. Why it's good that we hate the lie. In the first place, because, because God hates the lying tongue. We didn't read that proverb. We read Proverbs 21. But earlier in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 6, there are six things the Lord hates. Yea, seven that are an abomination unto him. And the second thing listed is 
a lying tongue. A lying tongue is not something that God rolls his eyes at and dismisses it. Not something like when we hear the lies and the distortions of truth from the politicians and from others. But this is something that God actually despises. It's an abomination unto him. An abomination is something that we see and we hear and, and, and we recoil from it because we are so disgusted by it. That's what a lying tongue is to God. It's an abomination unto him. And because God hates the lie, we also hate the lie. This is part of being holy as God is holy. That God is holy means that he's consecrated to himself and that he's separated from all sin and that he's separated from that sin of the lie. For us to be holy then means that we too are consecrated unto him and that we too are separated from all sin and that we also see the lie, that we despise it, and we hate it. Why hate lying? Because in the first place, God hates lying. But then in the second place, why hate lying? Because here in Lord's Day 43, according to the Heidelberg Catechism, because lying is the proper work of the devil. You want to fall in line with the devil and with the proper works of the devil? Then you lie. Lying is the proper work of the devil. Lies do not come from God. God does not distort reality so that man is deceived into believing something that isn't true. God tells the truth and God shows things as they really are. But it's the devil. He who lies. He is the one who distorts things. And that's what Jesus says in John 8, verse 44, that there's no truth in the devil because he is a liar. And he's the father of the lie. And that means it's the devil, that he's the one who introduced lying into the world. He's the one who, who, who invented the lie, as it were. And that's what we see happened in the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, when Satan came to Eve in the form of a serpent and tempted her by asking her a deceptive, lying question, when the devil posed that first question, Yea, hath God said, Thou shalt not eat of every tree which is in the, the garden? And already in that question, the devil was trying to distort the reality of God's command to Adam and Eve, trying to make God's command look, look harsh and very abusive towards them as if God was really doing them a great disservice by withholding at least the fruit of one of the trees of the garden. And the devil posed that lie even in the form of a question. But then, not only that, but then the devil comes with his very bold-faced lie 
When the devil says, you shall not surely die. When the, when the proclamation of God was very clear, the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. That was reality. The devil concealed it. The devil deceived. The devil said, you shall not surely die. In fact, the opposite will happen. Your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. And so the devil is the father of lies and the devil continues to work his lies today. Lies about God, lies about doctrine, lies about the holy sanctified life that's required of God's children, all with the intention to deceive God's people and to turn us away from the truth, to turn us away from reality. And so we hate all lying because lying is the proper work of the devil. And we're not the children of the devil. We're the children of our truthful heavenly father. In the third place, why hate lying? And now this isn't the main thing at all, but it ought to be mentioned. We hate lying because it makes our lives very miserable. Because when we lie, we deceive others into believing something about us that isn't true. And then our life becomes very hard and very troubling. And we find that we have to cover up our tracks and sometimes tell more lies, lest somebody come and expose the lies that we've already spoken. And let me ask you, how do you think that went for David? For David, after he committed adultery with Bathsheba and she became pregnant, well, David surely wasn't going to tell anybody the truth of the matter that he had sinned and now he's living on pins and needles and to cover up his sin, he is willing to go to such great lengths to have Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, killed in battle. But now in all those months after his initial sin, and now leading up to him being confronted by Nathan the prophet, how do you think life was for David? When he was in that state of living a lie, and you can be sure that every moment of every day was miserable for him and troublesome, wondering what other lies he'd have to tell to cover up his previous lies. Life was troubling and difficult for David in the midst of all his lies. How do you think that went for Peter? We talked about that a little earlier. In the courtyard of the high priest, the people say to him, you were with Jesus. Peter says, no, I don't know the man. A little bit later, yes, you definitely were with him. No, I wasn't. And I don't know what you're talking about. And then a little bit later, when they confidently affirm in Peter, yes, you were with him and your speech is giving you away. You are from Galilee. You are with him. 
And now Peter starts to feel the pressure like he hasn't before. And he has to tell another lie in order to conceal his previous lies. Well, in the course of all that questioning, how do you think it was going for Peter? He was miserable. His life was caving in on him. He was being exposed in his lying. But now he was determined to cover up his previous lies with more lies. And so why do we hate lying? Because we don't want that kind of life characterized by lying and lying and and more lying and wondering who's going to catch me next. That's living a lie. Whereas the child of God loves the truth and loves that good conscience and loves walking and speaking the truth. Our calling then is not only then to hate the lie, but our calling also is to love the truth. To love the truth. The truth is something that gladdens our day. We're glad to find it and eager to know the truth more and more. And there are so many reasons why we ought to love the truth. In the first place, because Jehovah God himself is truth. That's the importance of the matter. God is truth. Truth, So that when we're speaking about truth, it's not simply using our tongues and make sure that, that we're not lying because even the ungodly can do that. They can use their tongues and speak those things that are outwardly true. But rather when we're talking about the truth, we're talking about Jehovah God himself. He's the great reality. He's the foundation of all truth. The Bible teaches that. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4, where we read that our God is a God of truth. And without iniquity, just and right is He. A God of truth. And then, Jesus says in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. God is truth. And Jesus Christ is truth. And so we love the truth. And insofar as one says, the truth isn't something that I like, The truth isn't something really that's all that important to me. I can get by just very well with the lie. Then that person is showing his or her true colors concerning their attitude towards God and that they have no use for God because God is truth. In the second place, we love the truth because our Heavenly Father speaks the truth. He cannot lie. He cannot sin. And therefore, he always reports things exactly as they are according to reality. And what is the reality that he tells us? God says, 
I am. That's truth. That's reality. God says, I exist. God says, I am to be worshipped. God says, I save my people through the blood of Jesus Christ, saving them from all their sins. And that's the truth that God speaks. It's the gospel. The gospel is truth, which is all the truth of the word of God. And God speaks that truth to us every single Lord's Day. God speaks that truth to us when we open the Bible in our own devotions at home. God God speaks that truth when we study the word of God together in our Bible societies. And God is always speaking the truth. The truth is about himself. The truth is about what he has done for his people. The truth is how he has saved his people through Jesus Christ. The truth is that Jesus Christ is coming one day to bring about the new heavens and the new earth. And you see, that's the reason then. That's why we keep coming back to church Sunday after Sunday, because we want to hear the truth. We want to know more about that wonderful, beautiful truth of Jesus Christ and our unmerited salvation in him. We want to know what's real. We want to know the truth. And the truth is that we are saved in him. And what a glorious thing that is that God speaks the truth to us in the preaching of the gospel because throughout the week, you and I, we break the law of God and we find that we are weak, we find that we are sinners. Sometimes we might even begin to wonder how can that great truth of salvation, can, it, can that truth actually be true for, for me? I am such a great sinner. And then we come to the house of the Lord and the gospel is proclaimed. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And that's real. That's really true. That's the way it is. That's no false report. And in faith... We cry out, that's the truth. That's the truth for me. That's the reality of my life. That my sins are washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ who loved me and gave his life for me. We love the truth because God speaks the truth. And in the third place, we love the truth because the truth gives us a a firm foundation upon which we can go forth and conduct our lives. You consider the opposite. What if we had no idea, what what if we had no idea what was real and what was false? And if it was up to us to determine the truth ourselves, as we would read through all of the books of man, as we would only have all of the science textbooks of the day, well, well, that would lead to a life of endless speculation. That would lead, lead to a life of 
of, of continual anxiety because who's to know what's true and what's not? But God has given us the truth so that we know the firm foundation upon which we stand. And the foundation is not shifting. The foundation does not change. The foundation is one and eternal because that foundation is God himself in Jesus Christ. And when we know him and when we know his word, then we know what to do. Then the speculation goes away. Then the anxiety is banished because we know what's real. We know the truth. And then we walk in that truth to the glory of God's name. And so we love the truth for all of these reasons. And now it becomes our calling to speak this truth to others. And that brings us to the second point of the sermon, speaking the truth uprightly. The Catechism uses that language in Lord's Day 43, when it says that I be no backbiter nor slanderer, that I do not judge nor join in condemning any man rashly or unheard. And these are all different ways to do the opposite of speaking the truth uprightly uh, and instead of bearing false witness. And let's take a look at those ways of bearing false witness before we come to the positive of speaking it uprightly. But the Catechism speaks of slandering and backbiting. Those two words are very similar To slander is to spread a lie about somebody else. To backbite, on the other hand, is to tell the truth about someone else, or at least a partial truth about the neighbor, but but it's a truth in the final analysis that is not for the good of the neighbor and actually harms the neighbor and destroys the reputation of the neighbor. So whether it be slander or backbiting, both can cause great harm. And we can use one general word to cover all of that kind of backbiting, all of that kind of slandering, and that's the word gossip. To gossip is to tell stories. To gossip, to use the language of Proverbs 18 verse 8, is to be a tale bearer. One who whispers a story from one ear to another ear, from one person to another. But what about, what about when the talebearer or the gossip might say, but what I'm saying is true. I'm, I'm, I'm not lying. I'm not making up the story. What I'm what, what I'm revealing about the neighbor and telling about the neighbor, it, it, it's true. He, he actually did that, and, and she actually said that. And while, of course, the ninth commandment requires us to speak the truth, yet it does not require us to speak everything we know to everybody we know at every single opportunity we have to speak to somebody and especially when the neighbor's reputation is on the line, 
In other words, the real principle, the, the real keeping of the ninth commandment is expressed in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, when the Bible says to speak the truth, but to speak the truth in love. And here is where we recognize that God has given us good minds. God has given us those sanctified hearts and souls and minds, and God gives to us that sense at times that when we hear those evil reports, that what we are hearing, that that's not really good, that I ought to be hearing these things. Maybe we're not able to say, well, well, that's slander. That, that's backbiting, the words that you are using. But God has given us that sanctified discretion whereby we are able to recognize but this isn't right what I'm hearing. This is gossip, and that's not good. And I'm not going to take part in this conversation anymore. Let's be aware of all of that backbiting and slandering and gossip. That's not speaking the truth uprightly. Further, the Catechism says that I avoid all sorts of lies and deceit. Lies and deceit. So not only the gossip against the neighbor, but lies that I might tell to cover my sin and to get people from exposing my sins. Has that ever happened to you or to me? Have you or I ever done that? When you and I, we know we did something wrong and we don't want anybody else to find out because that would be so embarrassing. That would be so shameful. And then when we are confronted with what we've done and we blurt out, I didn't do it. You can't prove it. And I, it wasn't me. Don't know what you're talking about. You got the wrong person. Have we ever done that? And what we've done then is told a lie to deflect blame and get people off our trail. We are called to avoid all sorts of lies and deceits as God's people. And oftentimes that means that we are going to have to face the consequences for what we have done. And we bear those consequences, and in bearing those consequences, then you and I, we learn to tell the truth and to speak it uprightly. And that's the positive part, speaking the truth uprightly, as the Catechism uses that language, has to do when we are in a position of judgment over against somebody else. The Catechism says that in judgment and in all other dealings, that in judgment and in all other dealings, and to a certain extent, we, we are all judges in this life. There are some people who are literal judges. That's their job is to go to the courtroom and to render their judgment on certain cases. There are other people in positions of government who make 
judgments that directly affect the welfare of other people. But even if you are an employer, you are called to make judgments so that the young man working for you doesn't show up on time. The other woman working for you doesn't perform the job assigned to her. Well, you have to make a judgment on what to do. The consistory is often in judgment, in judgment concerning different matters uh, regarding the members of the body of Jesus Christ. And even as parents, we are judges. When the children come to us with their version of what happened, and this child says this thing, and this child says this thing, and sometimes those stories, they don't line up. And now we need to make a judgment. And our calling in all of those different areas in which we are called to judge, our calling is to judge righteously. That we are fair in our judgment, that there isn't any type of vindictiveness on our part that would taint our judgment. The calling of judges according to the ninth commandment is judge righteously. Part of speaking the truth uprightly also means that I will not, and using the words of the catechism, I will not join in condemning any man rashly or unheard. What does that mean? It means that I hear a story. It means that I hear some gossip about the neighbor and right away that I, I believe that evil report. And I believe that person is a no good, dirty, rotten scoundrel for what they've done. And we don't take the time to verify any of those stories. And we might even acknowledge that I don't even know the, know the whole story. And now here it's not even our calling to know the story or to search out the details of it, but... I hear the story, I hear the gossip, and instantly I condemn the brother. I come down very hard on the brother or sister. Never bother myself to figure out what was going on. Simply a rash judgment. Or it might even be that I do hear both sides, but I don't weigh it properly. Because there's something in my heart that is against that brother, against that sister, so that I judge rashly and without careful and proper consideration. And every one of us is inclined to set ourselves up as the judge and the jury and the executioner. And so often the judgment that we render is a hard, rash Judgment. And so often those judgments arise out of knee-jerk reactions. So often we haven't heard both sides of the story. This is obedience to the ninth commandment that we do not join in condemning any man rashly or unheard. But we are called to speak the truth uprightly according to the catechism that we will defend and promote the honor and good character of my neighbor. So that this is the opposite of gossip. If gossip is destroying 
and tearing down the neighbor and the reputation of the neighbor, then speaking the truth uprightly is, is loving the neighbor and building the reputation and building that neighbor up. So that if we have anything to say about the neighbor, it's good. And that's going to be true of you and me. So that whomever we meet and we talk to that person and we leave that conversation and in the course of that conversation we we talked about the neighbor. But leaving that conversation, the other person, they will think more and better of the neighbor than when they enter the conversation. And at work, at school, at home, wherever we are, I build up the honor and good character of the neighbor. And this is of very practical importance for us. Because the word of God states in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be meted out to you again. Now some people, they take that verse the wrong way and they say, oh, we may not judge at all. All judging of whatever type, it's all forbidden. No, that's not the meaning of Matthew 7. But it means this, that when you think about the neighbor, don't judge him rashly. Don't judge him unheard because the way you think about the neighbor is the way that God will think and deal and judge with you. And if we are thinking according to lies about the neighbor, then we stand in danger of God thinking that way about us. And so God be praised that he's merciful because every one of us has fallen into the sin of gossip God be praised that he's merciful to us so that he does not judge us with that harshness that we often so times judge others with. But let's take care in all our life that we love the truth, that we love the neighbor, and that we speak the truth uprightly. And in that way that we enjoy the blessing of God. And that finally, only those who tell the truth and believe the truth are the recipients of the blessing of God. The opposite is true. The opposite is true. The man, woman, child who bears false witness, that person will perish. That's what the Word of God states. That's what we read, Proverbs 21, verse 28. Proverbs 21, 28, a false witness shall perish. A false witness is one who tells lies. The false witness is the one who rashly condemns another. The false witness is that woman who gossips and spreads unflattering stories about the neighbor. The false witness is that child who says, I, I, don't know, I don't know who did it. I don't know at all. When that child knows full well the truth of the matter. The false witness of Proverbs 21 verse 28 is the one who does all these things 
and isn't sorry one bit for what they've done. Doesn't care about the neighbor. Doesn't care about the damage and the hurt done to the reputation of the neighbor. Doesn't care about the truth. Who doesn't care about Jehovah God, who himself is the truth. That kind, that kind of unrepentant false witness shall perish and the heavy wrath of God is poured out upon such a sinner. Why? Because God cannot allow such sin and rebellion to go unpunished. But for us, beloved, there is hope. God does bless those who tell the truth and believe the truth. And though we are sinners by nature, God gives us the grace of repentance so that we see our sins, so that we repent of those sins, and that we trust that in Jesus Christ all those sins have been forgiven. And what a great blessing that God has in store for us. Because at the same time when Proverbs 21 verse 28 says, a false witness shall perish. Implied is that the opposite is also the case. The false witness shall perish, but the true witness shall not perish. The true witness will live forever. And God does promise everlasting life to those who bear no false witness. And that's what we have the prospect of, not the prospect of death and destruction, but the prospect of everlasting life and glory. The blessing is this as well, that God gives us lips and tongues to show forth his praise. This is the idea of God crowning his blessings upon us, grace upon grace. That's the idea in the latter part of Proverbs 21, verse 28, A false witness shall perish, but the man that heareth speaketh constantly. So that latter part of the verse is speaking of a man who gives a true witness, who speaks good and true words, and that's the type of man whom God gives a good conscience a good conscience so that for you and I, that we're not afraid to use our tongues. We're not afraid to use our tongues because we have the spirit of Jesus Christ and we are free to speak the truth and to love the truth and to speak all of the wonderful things that God has done for me. And we open our mouths and we speak constantly speaking the truth, confessing the Lord Jesus Christ, confessing all our salvation is in him. And what a blessing that we have to look forward to in the new heavens and the new earth, speaking constantly the truth as we confess that truth, Jesus Christ, into all eternity. And so, people of God, we live in an age that is full of lies. And we have that old man of sin within us that is so prone to lie. But because God is truth and because he speaks the truth to us 
and shows us the reality of our salvation, let us love the truth and love the neighbor and speak that truth uprightly to others. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, we thank thee for thy word. Bless it to our hearts. Apply it that we may love the truth more. We thank thee for Jesus Christ, who is the truth. We thank thee that thou art the truth. We pray that we may, now loving that truth, that we may live with thee and that we may live with each other in it. Forgive our sins, be merciful to us, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We sing Psalter number 24. Psalter number 24, the end of stanza one. He that ever walks uprightly does the right without a fear. When he speaks, he speaks not lightly, but with truth and love sincere. Let's sing the three stanzas, Psalter number 24.
The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all. Amen.